Hey, Susanna. Hey, David. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, actually. Yeah? How was yeah. your weekend? Weekend was great. It was like the thing that I needed after <laughs> after uh, the week that I had last week. Yeah. I, yeah, I just had like a chance to sort of like decompress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually great. Like that, I think the highlight of my weekend was I got to spend a lot of time with my boys. I've got yes. twin boys. Um, and uh, yeah, so like during the week, I just don't get to spend obviously as much time with them, yeah. uh, even though I'm working from home. So I, it, I think probably the highlight of my week was like, I got like uninterrupted time with just them, just mm-hmm. trying to give my partner a bit of a break as well, because she does so much of the childcare during the week. Uh, we went to like a local park, and Fun. the boys are getting really good at riding their scooters. Nice. So like one of them was like lifting up a leg and balancing, which prompted me for the first time to be like, "Okay, it's time for your helmets." So right. I like got, I like went back to the car, I got their helmets out, and I was like, "I'm a good parent. I'm like keeping my kid safe, like setting them up for success." And then they probably were like, "I don't want to wear this." Okay, at first, right? But then they saw each other in them, and this I guess is like a twins' advantage. Like they saw the other, and were like, "Okay, cool, yeah." This is awesome. They were into it? They were into it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, like, they were, it was a little awkward, but generally speaking, they were good. And how are you? I'm good. I mean, I also have a three-year-old, and she's just really starting to, like, pick up on the mimicry. Oh, my gosh. Fun. Just, like, picking up different phrases and stuff. And Mm. her newest thing is talking about getting involved in things. So... She was like outside in the yard the other day and she got really upset. We were like, what's going on? And she said, I don't want the dog to get involved. You know, and what a perfect (laughs) turn of phrase for your, like you as an activist, you as someone who's aware and like also active in your own community. Town of Claremont, you got to run for Town of Claremont. Vote Susanna Bradley. I'm just blowing up your spot. All you Columbia County listeners out there. (laughs) No, but get involved seems like a perfect kind of like, you know, it's like exactly what I'd expect out of her mouth. That's great. So funny. I'm like, where did you hear this? Yeah, right. Like, do or do not want someone to get involved. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so lovely. So lovely to take a break and talk about our kids. But you know what? Actually, oddly enough, there's our lead-in right there. What do you know? That's today's topic. Yeah, we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to talk about kids, and we're going to be talking about our role as parents. This is a crazy time to be a parent. There's a lot of things kind of screaming at us at all times. You know, like uh, right now at the time of recording, it's kind of like back to school season. So there's just a lot of obviously concerns about, you know, your kid's safety. Like that's a big thing on a lot of parents' minds. And, you know... In our world, where we're coming from, I think there's just this constant weird kind of like hand of the near future pressing down on us. I don't know if you feel this, but like me, like my climate anxiety, it's real now, not just for my own life, but of course for, you know, the future that my children are going to grow up in. Absolutely. Um, And that was kind of high on my mind as this op-ed came out the end of last week by uh, Greta Thunberg teenage activist uh, from Sweden. And she wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, which was actually also an edit of the introduction to UNICEF's report that they just published um, about the, obviously like the future of climate and its relationship to children. Oh my gosh. Um, So yeah, a lot of, yeah, a lot of big stuff, a lot of heady stuff uh, for us to cover. And, you know, some reasons to hope and reasons to charge up as a parent, I think. So shall we, uh, shall we get into it? Okay, let's do it. Solar spit. Solar spit. Solar spit. Solar spit. Okay. You almost did Michael Bublé there. I, you know, it's better than Michael Barbaro. Oh, shit. Yay. Solar spill. With guest host, (laughs) Michael Barbaro. Here's what else you need to know today. 
Well, okay, let's get into it. (laughs) As parents, you know, we often tell ourselves and others that we would do anything to protect and provide for our children. You know, we we make declarations and commitments of our goal to set our children up uh, to succeed above and beyond our own success. You know, they're going to be better than I, I was and that we will defend them from inheriting our mistakes and follies. I mean, we sometimes go so far as to proclaim that we want to leave the world in a better place than we found it. Yeah. Well, the truth is, Susanna, we parents are failing at a global scale. Yeah, we are failing. And, you know, I think like we don't, you don't have to be a biological parent either, you know, like of a human child to be called a parent here, because we're all stewarding our world into the future together, whether or not you have a direct stake in a future person as a parent or an uncle or an aunt or a godparent, you know, or or you're living on this planet and you are a person whose impact will reverberate into future generations. You know, all of our impacts will. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't think you have to be a parent to be kind of engaged and committed to that future vision. Thank you so much for opening the aperture up too. I, I feel like I can actually kind of relate because I think, you know, <clears throat> obviously like other than moving upstate from my born home of New York City, uh, having kids is like the biggest, you know, most meaningful transition I've ever gone through in my life, My like accepting my role as a parent. And I love that you opened up the aperture to non-parents because the next time I felt that level of like almost spiritual connection to another thing was actually to the property that, I now own, right? Like the home that we bought comes on, you know, a couple of acres of property. And I remember very early mornings waking up in the first month and a half after moving in and walking outside and not just like looking out at this grass field being like, you're mine to enjoy. But I was like, oh no, it's my responsibility to steward this land so that it is in as good, if not better shape when I depart it, right? Yeah. Whether I sell the property, whether I die and it like passes on to whatever next generation, like I felt this sense of like dawning responsibility, every tree, every blade of grass, every plant. I was like, I need to learn what you need so I can provide for you with the tools I have with my like bipedal, you know, so I just wanted to say like, thank you for opening up the aperture to like, you know, certainly not just biological parents, but like not even like parents of humans, just like we have this responsibility. And I think in many ways, as a parent, like in many ways, climate change is this like horribly real rendering of what happens when a parent knowingly or unknowingly passes their like habits or bad habits or like mistakes down to their children. I mean, we're essentially through our actions, through our consumption and through our like sort of commitment to like forever growth, we are narrowing the next generation and the generations after that ability to determine their own path through life, you know? They're just learning to navigate the world and then they're going to have this built-in baggage that we're handing down, these complications that we're handing down to them. You know, rising temperatures, rising waters. They're going to have to deal with that on top of all of the other regular challenges of growing up without their consent. Like, they never consented to that. They never, like, accepted capitalism as such and consumerism as such. They were just, like, born into it. They didn't pity themselves. And even if we choose to ignore that baggage, we as parents, it's going to be there you know, subtly or not so subtly guiding their imaginations and the choices that they can possibly make, the abilities, their, that, you know, their ability to form meaning, relationships, all these things will develop in relationship with the climate, which is constantly degrading at this point. Yeah, you know, and again, here, this is more than just parents of kids that we're talking about, because we create society together. 
everybody, whether you're a parent or not. And we create and uphold our value systems together, whether you're a parent or not. For people who have children, of course, it's, you know, it's super tangible how parents pass on their values and their baggage to another person you know, very directly. Um, and that's happening around us all the time, though, whether you have kids or not in you know, all of our many different relationships. So like, any time you uphold the status quo, you are upholding it for everyone now and everyone in the future, whether you're a parent or not. I feel like what we're really talking about is one whole generation, like not just parents, but a whole generation or generations, right? Because it's like we're just building on what those who have come before us have set up. What is one generation setting up as the way of life, the systems, the policies, the values, the everything for the next generation? You know, we're social creatures. We mostly adopt what we've been taught. And it's incredibly hard to take on new values, new processes, new lifestyles. Yes. It's, you know, it's hard to pick those things over the comfort and convenience of doing the old thing. What mm. you've been told is right, is good, is proper. You know, so what is the legacy that we are all leaving? What are the things that we want to leave to the next generation, whether or not we are parents? Are we setting them up for success? Oh my gosh. And that's wonderful, like wonderful points. And it feels like there's like a line of Greta's op-ed that like almost responds to that in a way. Um, so I'm just going to quote uh, the op-ed right now. So quote, for children and young people, climate change is the single greatest threat to our futures. We are the ones who will have to clean up the mess you adults have made. And we are the ones who are more likely to suffer now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is so super powerful for some people. Um, they really kind of connect with that sense of like, oh, I've made a mess. And now this totally unimplicated person has to clean it up for mm. me. Like some people are like, oh, my bad. Like they connect with that yeah. feeling. But for others, I feel like it's really easy, easy to, to shrug a statement like this off, either because you don't believe that the world is or will be such a big mess. Mm. You're like, oh, it's not, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Or by saying, well, I got a shitty world too, kid. Oh. You know, like I didn't inherit a great world. You just, you just do the best you can with what you've got. Like it's just yeah, kind of like. My, my day was so much tougher. Right. Walked uphill 15 miles both ways in the snow. We were, no, we're not going to have snow. Yes. So damn you, dad. You know? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. I get that. And, you know, I think like there's multiple frames uh, or perspectives that we could take to make this real. Like even if you didn't believe in the you know the cause of climate change you can look at the change in climate right even if you don't believe it's like humans that are causing it you can just look at it and like say like look in a way as i was saying kind of more abstractly up top like we're not just leaving them with the worst climate we are also potentially complicating the potential outcomes of their lives the options they have available to them and when you start to take options or privileges away you are you are getting into like rights territory right so unicef the unicef report which also features many of the words from greta's op-ed it basically sets up that the climate crisis is a child rights crisis and so it presents this this sort of children's climate risk index ccri which uses the date which uses like climate data to generate new global evidence on how many children are currently exposed to climate and environmental hazards shocks and stresses it almost creates like a a negative scorecard of where in the world kids are experiencing the most kind of like strikes against them when it comes to climate risks and uh virtually this is this is crazy right virtually every child on earth is exposed to at least one 
environmental or climate hazard right now, right? And what do we mean by climate hazards? So heat waves, gone through that this summer here in America, cyclones, air pollution every day, flooding or water scarcity. We just had, uh, what was it, Hurricane Henri? Henri blow through and luckily you know by the time it hit landfall it had weakened but it dumped like six inches of rain in some parts of rhode island new york massachusetts connecticut overnight that's insane right so like again virtually every child on earth is exposed to at least one environmental hazard but 850 million children or one third of all children on earth are exposed to four or more and a billion children live in extremely high-risk countries. Wow. That's staggering. It is staggering. I mean, it feels super unreasonable to have a kid exposed to four or more hazards. Because when you're, I mean, you're kind of listing those things, you know, it's like, yeah, one or two, I feel like we could deal with. Like a heat wave, we can get through it. You know, if it's just a flood, we, you know, hopefully we can get through it. Before or more, like I have asthma because of air pollution, number one. Uh, number two, our crops are failing because of drought. Number three, our houses may catch on fire because of wildfires. Oh, and then four, now there's a heat wave too that we have to deal with. It's like, whoa, how are supposed to, you know, how are people supposed to survive that? Especially children who generally have a lot less authority and ability to not only make decisions, but also just do the work required to live like children can't build their own homes you know or shouldn't have to no, shouldn't have right exactly can i put a little sad icing on this cake no no it's just a little sad icing and, and this is just a pause for climate justice right like the sad icing on the cake is that the worst effects of climate change are projected to hit countries who barely contribute to global carbon dioxide emissions the countries that do the less damage are projected to reap the worst impacts of climate change so the children in the 10 countries that collectively uh, account for nearly 70% of global emissions categorically face lower risks than children who are not in those countries, with only one exception being India. Well, and that's really the tale of the entire climate crisis as well, right? It's industrial civilizations have created this massive problem, and the worst of its consequences are being borne by the populations that didn't contribute to most of the problem. Yep. And so I'm just going to quote uh, Greta again from the op-ed. Quote, We are in a crisis of crises, a pollution crisis, a climate crisis, a children's rights crisis. We will not allow the world to look away. Unquote. And let's just pause on that for a moment. We will not allow the world to look away. In this sort of like perfect last line of the op-ed, uh, Greta and her co-authors create this perfect rhetorical expression of their power uh, and also the limits of their power as children, right? As they send this message sort of up to us, the generation of parents and grandparents, the stewards, they are saying clearly like, here is the power of a child to draw and hold your attention. You know, the children are expressing their anxiety, their grief, and their need as well. That statement clearly determines that, you know, attention is all that children can bring to the fight, right? Like they're not going to build the house or they shouldn't build the house. You know, attention is critical. I think attention is a form of love, you know, as, as a parent, but it's not the whole fight, right? I can't like pay attention to my bad kid's behavior away. I need to take action. I need to create 
you know, scaffolds around them that allow them to nurture and grow in a safe way away from the bad behaviors and towards good ones. And they, the children, you know, in this op-ed, the co-authors, they are calling for us to address their anxiety and ameliorate their grief through action. Yeah, it's kind of interesting as you were, as you were reading that, I was just thinking about how some of the reading that I've done about equity has been about how we often give preferential treatment to adults. Hmm. So we kind of sideline uh, seniors and we sideline youth. Absolutely, yeah. And we don't take into account their opinions, their thoughts, their, you know, anything. And the reason is basically like, because I'm the daddy, because I'm the mommy, right? Like how often did we even hear those messages as children? Oh, yeah. And it just strikes me how that, like, how it's it's almost like a form of gaslighting in and of itself, yep. you know, as children are saying, this is important to us, like getting back to that objection of like, it's not that big of a deal, or I had it tough too, like the children are saying it's important to them. Yeah. So we should give that weight. Yeah, right. You and know? I think that, the, I, like in, in hearing you say that too, I'm reminded that there's so many different economists and sort of people from a, like farther afield than just climate studies that have talked about how especially in Western societies, we privilege that adult age range and yes. not children or, uh, or or the aging populations because children and aging populations are not major movers in the economy. They don't generate income for the country or for the state. And so it just becomes like their voices are kind of like fallow and left out, left out of the conversation. But if you really think about it, if the children are already in a premature age expressing complicated feelings like grief, like dread, like anxiety, then we are receiving essentially a message from the future producers that are saying like, we won't be able to play this dumb game you guys have created. The rules are broken under the future you're leaving us. And yeah. so it's just this wild, That's I mean, so even if we don't get into the deeper, like where the psychological preeminence of like the patriarch of the family and the household, the like daddy banker who comes home after a long day of work slippers waiting and kids like quietly sitting in the corner looking all pretty and off to bed like that comes from or has a relationship to the very same economy that's destroying us all it totally does it yeah i mean yeah and the solution therefore is also giving the children the equity that they yes. deserve in the conversations and yeah. it's i mean it is so hard to hear young children being upset and anxious about this stuff. And of course, I mean, they have every reason to feel this way. I'm not saying they shouldn't feel that way. We feel it too, you know, mm -hmm. but to be such a young person and to be afraid of what the planet will look like when you're growing up. I mean, we all, like, if you're 15, if you're 16, like, everybody has feelings. Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> big, everybody big smashing has... pumpkin style feelings. Exactly. If you're, if you're it's like, we all have existential dread when we're 15. Mine was like, how can I possibly pick a job that I want to do? for the rest <laughs> of my life right now because you know i i thought okay to pick a college i have to oh, pick right. a job right 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 and like work you your know? way backwards to right, like the decision exactly. you know, what do i look like at 65 you know exactly. what, actually no what do i look like on my deathbed and then work your way backwards right like what career do i want to have okay so then what college should i go to okay so then what you know where should i apply what do i need to do in high school to get in there which, you know, I mean, that's a ridiculous thing to have existential dread. But like, that was what I was existentially dreading. And children today, like, compare that to how, like, how do we get adults to wake up 
so that the world isn't literally a burning hellhole when I'm 22. <laughs> like that's oh, their God. existential dread today. Yeah, I, I love that. Like that's the barrier now. It's like like the low bar isn't just like oh I'm gonna like get like the internship I need. It's like no no yeah. no no. It's on fire. Yeah, your internship's on fire. The yeah. office there is no office. There's no work. There's no world. Also, you can only go out on like monday wednesdays and fridays because of air quality like yeah it's like bad 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 right so what can we do right how can we as the sort of parent or steward generation rise to this call from the children of our world as a former strategist and just the way that my mind works i'd like to look outside of category for solutions Mm -hmm. right and i you know we're talking about parents and sort of what our role is as parents so i actually looked up some basic parenting advice right i was like (laughs) let me come at this as a parent let me just see if there's anything have good boundaries yeah yeah, maybe there's something that we can learn from what is the guy in the 70s dr spock or whatever yeah 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 (laughs) not you know live long and prosper but my mom like had that whole library dude oh my god absolutely so actually we linked to a in the description we linked to a, a parenting article from the Atlantic. It's like one of those like kind of like listicles, but I thought it had a couple of pieces that were kind of relevant and achievable and you know could relate to what we're talking about here. So I'm going to quote the child development expert and author Dr. David Elkind, a professor emeritus at Tufts University, tells uh, tells right. So the doctor uh, modeling the behavior we want is one of the best things we as parents can do. So modeling the behavior we want is one of the best things we can do as parents. What you do matters a lot more than what you say your child should do. Like for, for example, the, the children of smokers are twice as likely to, uh, to smoke as the kids of non-smoking parents. And overweight parents are significantly more likely to have overweight children than non-overweight parents. Even slightly more enigma- enigmatic behaviors like how you treat your family members and interact with strangers, animals, and the environment are absorbed and repeated by your children. The best way to get your kids to eat broccoli? Eat it enthusiastically yourself and make it delicious, the article says, with a little grated cheese, perhaps, for your kids. Children detect falseness a mile away. So believing in what you're doing is an integral part of leading by example. That is really funny because <laughs> little lighthearted children's anecdote break here. Um, saying thank you is really important to me. Yes. So I say thank you often, but I find myself sometimes prompting my child to say thank you. Like, what are you going to say? Or say thank you for that. And she says thank you. So she often says thank you. But one of the funny things is that she has now picked, it up, picked up prompting other people oh, to say yeah. thank you. <laughs> Because I prompt her to say thank you. So the other night we were sitting down to dinner and she goes, thank you, mommy, for making this wonderful dinner. And I was like, oh, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. And then she turns to my partner. She goes, daddy, say thank you to mommy for making dinner. And every day she becomes more your daughter. That's so amazing. Like, I guess I did model prompting to say thank you, didn't I? That is awesome. And actually, you know what? Let's, let's, uh, this is a spot. You know, we haven't done this a lot. I think our, our new format uh, of like kind of responding and, um, you know, sort of like playing in the intersectionality of like current events and climate We've rarely had the opportunity to genuinely talk about like what we do as Suncommon, mm-hmm. right? But this, I think, is kind of one of those actual, genuine, not even trying to hard sell our audience on anything moments, right? Like, yeah. I do believe in our company's mission. And I also do believe in like the products and services that we install. So like, Susanna, why don't you tell me what are sort of, you know, how do we approach this? How, what does it mean to lead by example when it comes to fighting climate change as a parent, as a steward? Well, you know, I mean, as you pose this question to me, um, you know, I'm just thinking about, okay, we, you know, we do have to model what, what we want to see. So that means getting involved 
right? Getting getting involved. Is that phrase again? Um, <laughs> putting pressure where we can. Voting. Yes. Being an active participant in our local communities. Knowing our neighbors. Knowing our governments. There, you know, there's actually there's a ton that we can do at the local town level. People don't know that. There's so especially in New York State. There's a whole program for towns to get involved in to help us fight climate change. But towns only pursue that work if there are interested citizens volunteering to do it. Yep. You know, so like get involved in your town. Like it seems small. You're like, oh, well, who cares if we put solar on our municipal building? Like that's that the, matters. What if everybody did that? I think, I matters, think it sends a huge, you know? like, look, even as marketers for solar, we have like, guys, there's studies, listeners, there's studies that prove that like the keeping up with the Joneses thing works. So if you're sure, doing yeah. it for good, right, if you like see that like three out of five of your neighbor's homes have solar, you are going to be considering going solar even subtly and psychologically. So like like you said, if that town hall has now solarized itself and like the parking lot and whatever, like that's going to send a signal every single day. Yeah, that's definitely a good model for, for everyone to follow. Um, but, you know, I think there's an aspect of modeling what we want them to carry on mm. and hold up as an example, not just what we want them to change as well, you know? So it's like, for me, that feels more like the equitable approach, the inclusion, discussion instead of mandates, you know? I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately that we need to do more now, a lot more to institute sustainable systems for every aspect of life mm-hmm. so that our children know how to live that way. You yeah. know, something as simple as, you know, the, the two weeks ago when we were talking about the IPCC report and yeah. the MIT um, study from the 70s that were on track for societal collapse, you know, and it said, okay, food production is going to take a hit. Like, I want my kid to know how to grow food. Yeah. And I happen to have a big garden, but like, even if you just have a container garden on your balcony, like, show your kids how to grow food. Like, I want them to have that skill, you know, or consuming stuff. It's like, yeah, there are endless numbers of toys, of doodads, of clothes, and my kid wants all of them. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to buy her more or less whatever she wants. But, like, we don't do that. Yeah. Because consuming just unsustainably is not a habit that I want to model for her or get her used to. Like, yeah. I want her to think, like, do I actually need this? What's something that I can give away if I'm going to have something new? You know, we talk about it with the water and stuff like that. It's like, don't just leave the water running. We only want to use exactly what we need. Even though there's plenty right now. Yeah. Let's get into that habit that we only use exactly what we need. Yeah. And when I was visiting uh, Utah this past summer during one of their yearly drought cycles, we got into, my partner and I got into our boy's head, this idea that like Utah does not have a lot of water, so we should be very precious with it. And then we've actually just kind of kept that that going. Like nice. the, the spigot or like the hose or whatever, the spigot that like feeds the hose, like Yes, there's a practical problem when the well runs dry and then it needs to refill and you don't want to like lose pressure. But it's also just this like this feeling that I see in them now when they kind of like police each other. Hey, like they're in their like quacky little three year old Muppet voices. They're like, turn off the hose. Like, you know, it's (laughs) pleasant veil water important. Like and you're just like, oh, my gosh, it's working. Like here I am modeling this behavior, being precious about the water supply and then it's passing on. And I do have to say genuinely, honestly, like. I'm, I was so and continue to be so impressed with your 
maniacal commitment to not gift giving on the holidays. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I wish I was brave enough. Like, I wish I was brave enough. I, the, the half step we took as a family to your whole step was like, we're only going to give each other handmade gifts, like mm -hmm. stuff that we can make ourselves. But even that feels like, oh, we're still like kind of supporting this like consumerism as like a national like sport. You know, right. it's like, yes, like on every day of import, we are going to give each other lots of useless things all the time needing to cut that down so i am i'm legitimately impressed as much conflict as it must create for you <laughs> in and around your family on the holidays well done no they get it they yeah. get it i and it's you know it's not it's not no gifts it's just like i would just so much rather have a nice written note than a thing don't backtrack now don't backtrack well, now. i'm just <laughs> saying i don't want people to think i'm heartless no like you're i not. do you're i enjoy so the thought heartless yeah you're not heartless and i actually look i I started with saying, like, maybe there's a bit of hope or maybe there's a bit of, like, energy we can put behind this. It's positive. I think Greta is generally right. I think we, we, we are failing. We have been up to this point failing to set future generations up for success. But I, I got to tell you, Susanna, there's, like, one thing that I've experienced since becoming a father that has maybe not even given me hope, per se, in this context, but has guarded me against dread and hopelessness. What is that? I have this weird, since the kids were born, I have this weird sense of as bad as everything gets, I will hold the world together if I if it is necessary. Like mm. to set this place up for my kids, it doesn't matter how much pain I have to go through, physical, emotional, financial, whatever. I'm ready to lose, essentially I'm ready to lose all my privileges. I'm ready to lose all my rights. I'm the, the, Take the bullet, right? Or whatever, but extend that even beyond. If there's something as big as climate crisis, which feels so unnameable and so huge, you know what? As a parent to my kids, it simply cannot be the end. I will fight. I will act. I will do whatever it takes. And I think all or most parents or stewards of a thing that activate on that deep level uh, can, can relate to this idea that there's nothing that will come between your children and safety. And so I, I wanna like, if you are listening to this and you've had that feeling about either a child or a thing that you're stewarding, a place, uh, an object, a service or whatever, touch that, like really focus in on that feeling because we need all the energy, we need all the action, we need all the, yeah, just the impact that we can right now. It's like, we have to make a huge set of changes in the next seven years. And I, for one, am ready to literally lay it all down if it means that my children have a better chance at a future. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's so true. It's like the, you know, proverbial child is under the proverbial car. Oh, right, yes. And we as parents are being called on right now to pick the car up. Yeah, like, there's like those stories up. of like like yeah. wild mom strength. Like, and you're super just like, human strength, your kid's under the car, you just pick it up. The woman's like, whoop, whoop. You just rip the kid out yep. from there. I picked the car up because like literally yeah. hidden mom or dad strength. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's steward strength. That's what we have to do right we now. We just have to lift the car. Yeah. Yo, let's lift the car. Let's do it. Oh man, so Can yo. Let's get a high five. Let's get a high five. Let's get a high five. Sorry if that was really loud. Listener, I'll try to edit that down. But yo, so this is, um, yeah, 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 high five. Um, so for the Solar Spill, uh, I'm Tavi. I'm Susanna. And we are here, uh, you know, talking about the intersections of sort of current events and uh, climate. And we are also representing Sun Common, 
Uh, we are a solar installer in the Hudson Valley, Capital District of New York, uh, and all of Vermont. So please hit us up, suncommon.com. Uh, help us lift that car. Help us lift that car, one house at a time, one business at a time. It makes a huge difference. Your largest impact is your home. So make that change and bring that change home and model that change for a future generation. For The Solar Spill, thanks so much for listening. Cheers. See you next time.